Earth to Brit can be found wherever you go for your next podcast fix. My handle on Instagram and Facebook is Earth to Brit Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Earth to Brit Pod. Emails can be sent to earth to Brit.podcast at gmail.com. The podcast website is www.anchor.fm slash earth to Brit. Remember, Brit is spelled with two T's. B-R-I-T-T. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. This is a Yellow Wave production. to Brit coming at you with the finale for season two for real that's happening this is happening right now uh, um it's gonna take me a little while to get my mind wrapped around that but I will not lie to you I am so ready for a very 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 much needed break but I'm also really excited to come back I know I never make sense I'm always contradicting myself it we're at the end of season two if you don't already know that about me then I guess just keep listening. You're going to figure it out real soon. Um, so this week we're going to be talking about a case that's just, I mean, they're all wild, but this one's so, I don't know. There's something about it that's, and it's not so much the part that most people are freaked out about, but like the other stuff, which we'll get into. I'm being very vague. I realize that. <laughs> Again, you know me by now, I would hope. That's what we do here. So we're going to be talking about Pazuzu Agarad, who's actually not, that's that's the name he created for himself. And he, I believe he legally changed it. I'm almost positive. He was born John Alexander Lawson. Now, if you're realizing this as you're listening, I did this on purpose. I started season two with a case of the Lawson family murders at Christmas in 1929. And I'm ending season two with a case about another loss. And don't ask me why I'm doing that. It wasn't intentional, but then it just kind of fell into my lap. And here we are. So there's a lot to this. Okay. This could easily be a six parter. I'm going to do it in one. So basically, if it seems like I'm rushing through trying to get done, I am. But I'm also totally enjoying the moment because of the fact this is the last episode for season two. So it's going to be a little different for me. I'm going to have to really focus something I don't do well, but I'm going to do it for you because this is packed full of information and I don't want to miss anything. So yeah, go ahead, grab your drinks, grab your snacks, whatever, both. I don't care. No judgment here. And we will do the thing. John Alexander Lawson, who later named himself Pazuzu Algarad. Well, okay, hold on. Typical fashion, right? For me. Um, let me just get into real quick the meaning of Pazuzu because there are so many factors in this one name that I, I just at least have to help you realize it's not just a random name. He didn't just say like, oh, Pazuzu, that sounds cool. So if you remember, I think like sixth grade, region somewhere around there we learned about ancient mesopotamian religion stuff like that and we probably did learn about him i don't remember that but whatever so pazuzu in this religion was the king of the demons of the wind he's the brother of humbaba and son of the god hanbi he also represented the southwestern wind and was the bearer of storms and drought foreshadowing much um another fun fact and I don't have this in writing, so I'm just quoting off something I learned earlier. It was also, um, what is the movie? 
shoot. One of the characters based in some form of possessed person, and I, it's a very, very, very cult classic. Like, we all know this movie, and as soon as I went to say it, it left my brain. Par for the course. Just, honestly, I'd be shocked if I had remembered it. Anyway, we're, that's who we're talking about today, okay? And there's a lot about this whole fucking thing. The whole thing, if that's what you want to call it. The situation, the person, what happened, what we don't know about that could have happened. I mean, this is jam-packed with a bunch of shit. I will also give you a little bit of a warning. I, for sure, am not going into details about this because I cannot even handle this. It pisses me off like no another. There are animal sacrifices mentioned quite a bit, but again, there are no details given and minus like what kinds of animals, but I'm going to be very quick about that because again, it's like a stereotypical, for real, the, the definition of stereotypical situation for killers or people with these sorts of mental illnesses and issues. And I'm not here to harp on that because I just don't want to, who wants to be talking about that all day? Not me. So the thing about him is he claimed to be a Satanist, but if you know what that actually means, he's so far off. He, I personally, I don't know him clearly, but I really do believe that he thought he was Satan and just didn't necessarily have the balls to consistently claim that. But I really think that he thought that at least with his group. Like if I were there at this house, first of all, I'd pass out because I'd be so absolutely terrified. But I'd also, there's no doubt in my mind, if you were a fly on the wall, he for sure was bragging to his friends and just felt like the king of the world in that house. So there's something about that though, satanic rituals, satanic, whatever. It's a, it's a satanic panic actually. And it, in our time frame, happened in the eighties um, it's basically been around for all of history. Think about the Salem Witch Project. Not Salem Witch Project. What am I talking about? It's like, do I do this all the time? Yes, believe it or not, I do. You know what? Okay. In the ni- the 1690s, Salem Witch Trials. Thank you. <laughs> well, don't worry. It's only going to go up from here. I promise. So basically from 1690s, guarantee you even before that, until now, na- to now and forevermore. It's just one of those things. It's ingrained in human nature. I'm convinced of it. I'm not necessarily buying into th- that whole panic thing, but, but it's a thing. It is a thing. It's well documented all throughout history. That's what I'm the point I'm trying to make. So basically that factor on this case alone is enough to have created such a media frenzy with it. But then all the shit I'm about to tell you and the stuff I've, I'm going to inevitably leave out and regret later there's so much about this but it's it's so it there's something about this case that just people cannot let go of and like I mentioned earlier the things that we don't even know yet the the case is still actively being investigated and I think it's going to be that way for a while so let's get into it um Pazuzu he for sure participated in the killings of at least two men And this is while he's acting as a leader, basically, to a group of punks, outsiders, misfits, whatever you want to call it, basically just going crazy in the house and the neighborhood and doing whatever they want. And just, you know, think about that house in your town or think about that group in your town if you have that or whatever's closest to it, just like gives no fucks, loud music, metal banging all the time, like and they don't care and they want you to know they don't care. So it's like they're trying to rile people up intentionally, which is not a great combination, but that's what what that's exactly what is going on in his house and anywhere he goes basically. And on add to that, the town Clemens, North Carolina is very much evangelical, like super religious, so just really not the greatest place but in his mind obviously that's he was feeding off of that so this is actually an article that is kind of summarizing up the whole series on viceland's newest true crime docuseries and that series is called the devil you know and it's a socio-political basically failure that allows agrad to gain power among a whole group of society's rejects and they examine it in depth that's what this whole thing is about 
So who exactly is Pazuzu Agarad and what did he exactly believe in? He was born, like we mentioned, John Lawson, and he was born on August 12th, 1978. My birthday's August 11th, by the way. So this is, I think, one of the first Leos that I've come across um, in the crime season of season two. Pro- there could be more. I'm just, I think that's an interesting fact. Uh, and he was born in San Francisco, California. So when you talk about his childhood and when they interview a bunch of people, everyone says something super different that and it all depends on who's telling the story, just like it would for anybody else. That totally makes sense. And basically that a part of that is because of the fact that he himself, Pazuzu, invented a huge chunk of his story, just like totally made up what he wanted to for the people he met later in life. And those people he met later in life are also a large chunk of the people interviewed. So that it it makes sense. He would tell them he was from Iraq. He told some other people that his father was some high priest, but the people who actually knew him during childhood would consistently describe him as a little bit off and a little bit emotional. I want to just raise my hand over here. Hi, I feel like that would be how I would describe myself. So don't go crazy thinking like anyone off or emotional is going to be a Pazuzu in the making. Just that's something that was across the board. Um, There were a couple things and signs that were possibly indicating the beginning of a mental illness, like the harming of animals, the fact that he was consuming alcohol and drugs at a very early age. I think he started drinking consistently and heavily at 13, which you guys, I don't. I know thirteen now in this today's time is way different than it was in my time, and I'm thirty-two, so I cannot even imagine his time, thirteen years old. Like hell no, that to me says something else is going on. Not just self-medicating. I I am of the belief that there was some something happened traumatic, and uh, maybe we'll get into that later. So, where was I? Okay, so then you have his mother, Cynthia James, and she remembers things a bit differently. If you guys watch any of these videos, it's heartbreaking, but also you have so many questions for her and you're equally wanting to hug her while like shake her and be like, wake the fuck up. Can we, can you just tell us the truth? Because she was definitely a victim, but also an enabler. The cycle, you guys, is just a vicious circle that goes on and on and on. And it's something I can't speak on because I've not been abused in any of these ways that we're going to talk about. But it's, it's just frustrating. And I think that's a big part of why abuse and talking to people who have been abused is such, it's a hard thing to understand and it's a hard thing to get, but it seems to be the same decisions, same situations, same everything across the board. So obviously there's something to it. I'm just letting you know, if you do watch, be ready for that because it's it can be very difficult to get through. So she basically is like going all over the board with these quotes. She's like, all parents have arguments with their kids and don't agree. And then she mentions, yes, John had some mental problems, but he wasn't a bad guy. And then at one point she describes him as her little warrior. So he was also very obsessed with Iraq, which is... I'm not saying like, why would you be? But it, I don't know where that comes from him, him, from him. We don't get the origin of that. And I need to know. Like to me, that's a huge thing that I am left hanging. I still can't find anything on it. But he was also um, part Native American, I guess. Granted, a lot of people say they're part something and then come to find out they're not any of that. So I'm, that's taking, I'm taking that with a grain of salt. But he's also, so that's like a part of his story too. Um, which might come up later. I know I keep dropping little bits and then saying it might come up later, but, and it might, I just, there's so much information, but you need to know those two things. He was obsessed with native Americans and Iraq and FYI, fun fact, growing up, he was very blonde hair, very blue eyes. His hair turned a little darker as he was older, but you would never guess either of the two, but whatever. It's like people who have straight hair, they want curly hair. I'm guessing like you always want like the exact opposite of what you look like or what you have. So she mentions that he was diagnosed as agoraphobic, schizophrenic, psychotic, and there's a couple other things. 
And then she says that that's when I started getting help for him. But to can you continue with the psychiatrist and so forth, it takes a lot of money. You got to remember the good things. And I block out any of the bad things. He wasn't by any means an angel, but he wasn't a bad person or a boogeyman or whatever phrases people have called him. Also keep in mind, this is his mother. No matter what your child does, you love them. However, when you're in a sick situation like she was in and like he was in, it's even more twisted than that. And it's just, that's what I'm talking about when I say you just want to shake her, but also you just want to hug her at the same time. Because it's like, without being in that house or without seeing what actually happened and in, in the f- accusations f- that he would choke her and stuff like that and the police reports, without being there, I have no idea. So it's so hard to pass judgment and I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to understand but like, I just think there's so much more you could have done. But also she, she mentions that at the, at the end of one of these videos and she's bawling and it's like, who am I, you know, to, to get so frustrated with her, but, uh, you'll see. Okay. I keep saying that to you and I'm just going to prove it. I'm just going through this now. You will see exactly what I'm talking about by the end of this. And if you watch these, this docuseries, you will for sure see because they cover quite a bit, but they also miss some stuff. It's just so much. Um, so it's not really clear when he and his mother relocated. So they were in California. She, his mom, was originally from North Carolina. And they're not positive exactly when they went back to North Carolina, but they ended up back there and they lived in a home on the outskirts of the town, which, like we mentioned, had a huge Christian population, kind of like everywhere, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe this was extra. Who who knows? Um, so it was in 2002 when he took on the new name, Pazuzu. And it was, like we said, the homage to a legendary demon king, blah, blah, blah. The Exorcist, that's the movie. So the demon king in um, ancient Mesopotamia religion. And then um, it was supposedly the demon who possessed the fictional character in the iconic like i mentioned the cult the cult classic the exorcist so just those two things alone without any of the personality issues any of the agoraphobia all that stuff and the anxiety he was dealing with clearly he quickly becomes in a super eccentric character and everyone starts to become afraid of him which is like that thing, something that you don't know or something that seems so stark and harsh, you're instantly afraid of it. So he could have just been the nicest kid ever and not said a word, but just the way he looked, the name he gave himself, all of that. Yeah, people are going to be afraid in a small town for sure. Um, so Chad Nance, he's an editor in one of the episodes of the devil you know he said that pazuzu had done everything he could to make himself seem scary to the people in town okay i get it but then again we don't know that for sure but it's it's of the opinion that he was trying trying to freak people out and that he would openly talk about sacrificing animals um he would tell everyone that he could totally control the weather and then it is true that he at one point filed his teeth down on his own to try to make them into points. Um, I don't know how long that took or how he was able to, I mean, I have full body goosebumps. I have to move on because that's going to make me throw up. Um, He had tattoos on his face. Basically he was the small town's own Manson-esque icon of everything scary, everything dark, everything wrong with the world. All right. Not that that's true. It's just that's the image that he portrayed. Um, so he wasn't accepted because of that and probably a lot of other things. Uh, so one by one, he started to do more extreme things like the actual sacrificing of animals and then just building and building and building up this mythical story about himself with the way he's acting the the things he's deciding to do the stories he's telling it, it's something that's probably slow moving but it builds quickly once it gets like the momentum going and then once you get that going there's no turning back um so it's also sad to me because so he takes 
elements of Luciferian, they, they call it Luciferianism, Satanism, whatever, and Islam, which is ironic because that's two religions that are very much different. And then he tries to put them together. And they also think that this, that he did this because he was taking his surroundings post 9-11, full of Christian community and feeding to them the exact things that they, in quotes, hate. So it's like, was he, I don't know his intentions. So it's hard because it's just like, I'm all about people keeping everyone on their toes and being that mirror to people like this is what's wrong with you. But I don't know that that's why he did it. So I can't, I can't condone that at all. So then as he's doing this, um, his group, which it's not technically like officially a cult, but really it, 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 it's like an unofficial cult. It's growing and growing and growing. His mental health during this time is deteriorating and the house he shares with his mom begins to attract a mix of both men and women, locals, like working class or working poor, or even people who were just totally disenfranchised, like disenfranchised, they have no connection, just not necessarily homeless, but probably just like the lowest of the low. And that's not me saying that that's society, that type of people. Um, and to this day, if you ask some of them, they will tell you, yeah, we were followers, like whether Pazuzu knew that or not remains to be determined. But he had followers whether he knew it or not and that's important um so he, he if you think about it he had charisma it was just like a twisted kind and it's the kind that's obviously not going to appeal to everyone but there are certain minds that are absolutely going to be drawn in by that and those are the misfits the outcasts uh the people living on the edge or people who want to live on the edge and be rebellious and probably are just like not included with anyone else in that scene um yeah I mean that totally makes sense to me so the people who lived in the house at the time not officially but like they were there literally all the time they remember it as being lawless and totally chaotic full of sex and also they mentioned it was 100% nasty filthy Let me see. Okay. Sorry. I thought I heard my son wake up and he doesn't need to hear this. Um, so what did a normal day look like in the house? They would wake up, hang out. And by hang out, I, I mean, my mom used to hate when we'd say that. What are you doing? Hanging out. What does that even mean? I get it. I have no, I didn't know what it meant either. It's just what you say. So basically it means not doing anything. Um, they mentioned that they would sometimes do a little bit of heroin every now and then, this is a direct quote just a crazy shit ton of drinking <laughs> okay at least he's honest they'd cut themselves or each other sometimes they drink the blood of a bird or so what does or so mean i'm i'm not dying to know but like that's alarming red flag number five million um and basically just have a good time and that is basically a description from crazy dave adams that's a nickname they called him crazy dave and he is another friend of Algarad's, Pazuzu. So as you can imagine, if you're looking to just cut loose and you're a misfit or any of those types I mentioned earlier, you know that you're going to want to go visit that house because it's free reign. There are no rules. The rule is there are no rules. Nothing you had to do, nothing you had to not do. You could pee in the carpet. You could smash a TV if you felt like it. You could hit somebody in the head with a beer bottle and people would probably laugh and think that was awesome. You could throw a knife at his wall. It it doesn't even matter at all. Um, so as you can imagine, with the loud metal music at all hours, like I'm talking 24-7 all the time, almost 365, the people, especially nearby in the neighborhood, were absolutely terrified of him. So not a good combo because if you're terrified of somebody, you're going to accept and just do whatever you have to do and ignore their behavior because you don't want to even be noticed, I'm guessing. Like you don't even want him to notice you. You want to stay under the radar. You'll Whatever he wants to do, you're just going to ignore it because you're that terrified. Not great 
because that's just going to keep it going and make it worse and worse and worse, especially when all the mental illness is involved and the drugs and the alcohol. It's, I am, I already know everything that happens and I'm terrified for everyone involved. Um, and it's around this time when people are just so terrified and dealing with it and it's getting worse and worse that there's rumors going around about there being bodies buried in his backyard, Pazuzu's. Now, again, take that with a grain of salt because there's rumors all over small towns, rumors all, all over any town, especially when you've got somebody who's claiming to be a satanic demon, so much so that they changed their name to that demon's name, and you have heard the music, you've seen the people coming and going, you've heard the stories, I, I would be shocked if there weren't rumors. Whether they're true or not, I would be very shocked if there were no rumors at all. Um, yeah, so speaking of that, murder, which is why we're here at Earth Brit, I'm going to take a quick break and then we will continue where we left off. And that's the not fun part, but the part you came for. While every shelter pet is unique, some love a good game of fetch, others would rather snuggle on the couch, there's one thing they all have in common. They're all pure love. Right now, millions of pets in shelters and rescues across the country are waiting to be adopted. If you're thinking about getting a pet this holiday season or anytime, make sure to visit theshelterpetproject.org. Again, for those of you in the back, that's theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, Maddie's Fund, and the Humane Society of the United States. I am back. Hold on, though. I'm getting a drink of water. Oh, it's so refreshing. You're probably thinking, Can, couldn't you have done that on your break? Listen, first of all, it's my podcast. Second of all, it's the finale. Uh, and last but not least, my break is only like two seconds long. It's, it's not long. All right. <clears throat> Here we go. We are back talking about Pazuzu for anyone just now joining, which is the weirdest thing to me, but it has happened. You do you, I guess. Um, I'm very confused how you get through anything like that, but again, you do you. I got it. We are here talking about Pazuzu, and we're going to be continuing on the actual murders, the ones we know about, for real. There's a lot of speculation. So, deputies have said on the record, put it on the record, that they believe that the first of Pazuzu's killings took place sometime after June 1st, 2009. They believe the disposal of the corpse at the location in Clemens was assisted by Amber Birch and Crystal Matlock. These are two of the people who lived in the house, and they both identified as Pazuzu's fiancés. Again, if we're going to go into the whole cult thing, there's always sex involved and there's always multiple wives, fiancés, girlfriends, whatever. I just want to say, if you see these two things happening, you're in a cult. You are in a cult if that's happening. It's just the way it is. Um, so yeah, these two people helped. So Amber was actually believed to have killed a second male victim in October of 2009 and Pazuzu is believed to have just simply helped her bury the victim in the same backyard. In 2010, Pazuzu was convicted on a charge of accessory after the fact in the shooting death of a 30-year-old Joseph Chandler, whose body was discovered near a river by police on June 7th of the same year that his mom reported him missing. Shortly after that, Pazuzu was released on probation for the crime and that's according to North Carolina Department of Public Safety Records. So Pazuzu was also convicted in 2010 of a misdemeanor assault of his mom but Cynthia never went through with the prosecution. Standard for one mothers and two victims of abuse. Look it up it's a thing. Um, so deputies allege that Pazuzu choked his mother at the home where they both lived until she couldn't breathe. Okay, that's just one of many abuses happening. Um, shortly after I finish this article, we're going to do a very quick 
and by that I mean I'm going to try to be really quick, timeline of everything because it can be very confusing. It's still confusing to me sometimes and I've done the most massive amount of research of my life. <laughs> so if you're feeling like what's what again, don't worry, I got you. You're not alone. It's normal and we're going to do the rest of the story and then go back, recap everything in a nice crisp little timeline that goes in order of time. So that's also helpful. Um, so police had in fact done at least one search that was basically just like run of the mill, got to do it of this house. But it wasn't until five years later when they were able to do a thorough enough examination that they were finally able to find the skeletal remains of two victims, Joshua Frederick Wetzler, who was 37 and Tommy Dean Welch. And this was on October 5th of 2014. Both were determined to have died after being shot. There were also, again, I'm just going to breeze right through this for everyone involved, myself mostly, animal corpses that were found all over littering the property. And the property itself was filled with actual like garbage, human gar- like feces, you name it, and a lot of satanic graffiti and like quotes and weird shit, drawings. I don't even know what to call it all. Of course, I'll be posting pictures. You can find that on Instagram and or um, Facebook. But yeah, I got you. It's or just Google it on your own if you want. I mean, I did a I do a great Google search on all my images, and I get I go into a deep dive. I get the pictures that like it takes me a while to find them. Not bragging, except I am, but just saying you can save some time. Check out the social media pages, and you will find those there and make of them what you will. Um, yeah, it's really sad because you're, so you're like, what happened? Why were these two killed? I, I don't know that anyone knows because no one even knows how the people who ended up living there or going there often became friends with Pazuzu in the first place. It's just like crazy because Wetzler was actually one of the many lost souls, if you will, who found his way to this home looking for camaraderie. Heartbreak. Cue the heartbreak. I mean, it's constant here. Um, so Cynthia, his mother, Pazuzu's mother, was even saying, like, they were just friends, as far as I knew. They liked to sing music. He didn't have anywhere to stay. They turned his heat off or something, and he asked if he could sleep on the couch. I didn't have a problem with it. I enjoyed John having friends. That's what Cynthia is saying about Wetzler, one of the bodies found in the backyard. She continues with, I don't know where it came from. I really honestly think that he just didn't know what he was doing. He was not himself. He was on drugs or alcohol or both, probably. So Pazuzu, Amber, and Matlock, what was her first name? Hold on. They don't really talk about her much. Crystal. So Pazuzu, Amber, and Crystal were all arrested, and the home was condemned shortly after, and it because of, not of anything with the investigation, but it was deemed unfit for habitation. And again, there are pictures of this, like signs everywhere, do not enter, not habitable for human, like it was horrific, horrific. And we'll get into detail, like, how gross it was soon, but just know that it, it takes a it, more than you think it takes to have something like that condemned, especially with all the signs they put up. I can only imagine. So as this news breaks of the killings, which it's going to happen anywhere, but especially in a small ass town, a media frenzy naturally flocks to the scene. You've got violence, um, the whole satanic ritual shit. I mean, just, I mean, it was like a dream, a dream for the media. So Gillespie, who's one of the people who I think might be the creator of Viceland's docuseries. She's something big. Okay. So just know that here's a quote from her. There's going to be a couple coming up and I'm reading them all and in full because I love what she says. I think when you are working in any kind of journalism, there is a desire to please your advertisers, and my work is not exempt from that reality. People have realized that sex and violence sells, and that was leaned into in the media such that a lot of the facts were obscured. 
there's certainly a lot of elements of an adult nature. Some outlets were calling it a sex cult, and it's like, well, it wasn't really a sex cult. It was a bunch of people living in a dirty house. It was a bunch of girls that were more or less being abused to the point that they abused other people because they were left in a dirty house with a lot of drugs. They were hit and threatened. I think it's easier to say, oh, look, the brides of Satan, than it is to point to systemic misogyny and a general disregard for poor people. We let those people disappear. We often tell these stories about murder with the time of death and the blood spatters, splatters and the gun residue, but we rarely look at the shrapnel of violence that embeds itself in the larger community, and I think that deserves a look. I mean, God, I want to meet her. Um, so here's the other thing. Like I was saying earlier, Satanism <laughs> is not what you think it is, and it's not what Pazuzu thinks it is. Like Pazuzu, it, it, it's like his immaturity, his innocent, not innocence, naivety, if you will. I mean, what word do you use for someone like him? Not sure. Let's create one. I think he's earned it. Um, whatever it is about him, he just didn't have a clue. It was like what you see in the movies, and that's it. That's not what it is. Because actual Satanists react to the scandal, and they immediately attempt to distance themselves from Pazuzu's actions any way they can, Despite the fact that he is reporting, not he, that everyone's reporting that he was a follower of their religion. That's the problem with him and with the media. Like no one stops to actually think about shit. Like, let me think, was this accurate? No, they just fucking repeat the same thing. It's so frustrating. And it's happening all the time. That's also all throughout human history. Just like we're so stupid. Um... So Liz Bradley, she's a practicing Satanist and a member of the Satanic Temple. Here's a couple quotes from her. Obviously, people are trying to pin him on us. Which, like, I just want to high five her. Like, that's so funny. He was clearly, he clearly was a messed up person. I don't know why anyone would take anything he says super seriously. Thank you. People love to use the scapegoat of Satan. We want to look for a solution or an answer. And since mental health is difficult to understand, we can just point at Satan especially in this particular case, because the guy had a bunch of face tattoos. Um, so she continues to explain things further, and she says that real Satanists place an emphasis on empathy and compassion. We strive for justice, seeking knowledge, and using science to guide our beliefs and not the other way around. General enlightenment values and kindness. We're non-theistic. We don't even actually believe in Satan. We use Satan as a metaphor. Our third tenet is that one's body is inviolable, subject to one's will alone. So we're never going to violate someone's bodily autonomy. I just want people to understand that. And I do too, because it's so frustrating Frustrating that something that was used in a movie or back in 1690 with the most smallest minds ever is still an issue. Like, read a book look it up. I don't know what to tell you. It's just, I cannot take the stupidity much longer. So shit gets even crazier. Doesn't it always? He's in prison. I know that at first he was taken to Forsyth and then they were like, yo, we don't have the means or the capability to keep him safe here or anyone else safe. Like we don't have a way to do this. Like we don't see this type of thing every day or ever. So they, I mean, that takes a lot for a jail or a prison or something to do that. It's kind of like another police department asking another police department for help, which it does happen. And thank God, like, get your egos out of your ass. Like, get the fuck on with the investigation, that type of thing. Do what's best for all involved. But uh, again, I'm going to get on a rant about that. But I won't. I won't do it. Um, it's It's not seen often. So when that happens, I feel like, I just want to applaud that because it's asking for help, rightfully so, for the good of everyone involved. But also, it's like, holy shit, like, they, he is just beyond, he's extra. There's something about him in the case that is just untouchable. So they end up taking him to none other than, you guys, you guessed it, Central Prison, where my prisoner that I write is located. Everything I swear goes back to North Carolina and I'm not shitting you. I could go on about this forever. Hell, maybe I'll make that season three. 
stay tuned for that, I guess, because there's something about North Carolina and central prison, the two together separately and then together. It's mind blowing. Um, Ask me about it sometime. I I have so much information for you (laughs) if you're interested in it. So he ends up in, you got to be kidding me. I just exited out. He ends up in this central prison, right? And he is, hold on, I'm almost there. He's due to appear in court days before this happens. So his mom's reading a letter in one of the episodes. And it's just like, I'm bored to death. I hate people, blah, blah, blah. Um, he's obviously angry, but like nothing alarming. He mentions wanting to know when she and Amber are going to come visit. And then, well, I'm hungry and tired, so I guess I'll go, but I'll write to you again in a couple days. Okay. So then not long after that and not long before he's supposed to be in court, the police say that he took his own life in what was called an apparent suicide on October 28th, 2015, which is almost exactly one year after the discovery of the bodies at his home. They say that he was found unresponsive in his cell with a wound on his arm and that basically he had just cut a huge artery and bled out. However, this is where it gets a little bit fishy. There are specific circumstances of his death that remain mysterious, and that's because police are withholding considerable amounts of information from the public, including exactly how he died, specifics about the wound, whether there were weapons in his cell or not, if he was on suicide or not, suicide watch or not, or if he had ever attempted or talked about suicide before. Um, There are a lot of people including the people in production for the W you know, and then other people, townspeople, other people, political people, not just a, a pretty large group of people who are not entirely sure if this situation was, in fact, a suicide at all. So murder, we're talking about possible murder, which from what I've learned and hearing about central prison, and prison in general, but especially central prison, it would, unfortunately, I really, really wish I didn't have to say this sentence, but it would not surprise me at all. So Gillespie, again, we're going to go back to her because she is the shit and she, I just love what she has to say. Here's another quote from her. When it comes to, in quotes, the suicide, I'm never going to have the facts about those things. At the very least, it shouldn't have happened. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Whatever sharp objects was used, the fact is this guy died and there was such a vague press conference about it. It's frightening. That to me is the real horror. Probably my favorite quote of, of all the research I've done because I could not have said it better. Exactly the same. I want to take her out for drinks for real. She just, she takes everything I'm thinking and puts it out. And, and I just love when people do that. So thank you. Thank you, thank you. Um, so despite his horrible behavior, obviously, she refuses, Gillespie, she refuses to condemn him as an evil person. Here's another quote from her, which I also love. Duh. That goes without saying, by the way. I believe there are bad things in this world. I believe in, I shouldn't say the goodness in people, but the capacity for goodness in all people. I think when someone does something so devastatingly wrong and horrific, that means we should work through our fears and see it for the tragedy it is. The tragedy is that we weren't able to create an environment for this person where they could speak their own goodness. Of course, Pazuzu and Amber actually shot and killed these people, but there were many points at which someone could have interceded. We as a community sort of messed that up. We should check on the weird kid a little more, or maybe we should hold our police a little more accountable. Um, since this has been a thing, the story, all of it, the Pazuzu home has been demolished. And there were actually um, some interesting things happening with that. Uh, in one of the episodes, you could hear people cheering and music playing and hear them cooking out like I'm legit talking about a neighborhood party when they watch this happen. And I get that, but it's also like, I don't, I don't know how you can make a party of something so sad. And I can't go further on that because there's just too much to go on. So I'm going to take another real quick break for a sponsor. 
And then when we come back, we're going to do the timeline to just clean it up, clean up the messiness that I tend to bring to these situations with my emotions and my tangents and my distractions um, and make it very clear and hearing it in a very concise way in order will definitely make this probably hopefully one of your favorite episodes. I don't know, considering it's the finale. Let's hope that's the case. All right. So yeah, we'll be right back and finish up. The Innocence Project was founded in 1992 by Peter Neufeld and Barry Sheck at Cardozo School of Law, and it exonerates the wrongly convicted through DNA testing and reforms the criminal justice system to prevent future injustice. The Innocence Project's mission is to free the staggering number of innocent people who remain incarcerated and to bring reform to the system responsible for their unjust imprisonment. To get involved, you can go to www. Dot innocenceproject.org and join a movement of 800,000 plus supporters on a mission toward criminal justice reform. Your contribution helps us continue the fight for criminal justice reform and exonerate wrongfully convicted individuals. Every action makes a difference. I am back and I'm coming at you with a timeline of the Pazuzu Algarad case. May 28, 2010, Pazuzu Algrod was accused of putting his mother, Cynthia, in a chokehold at the home they shared at 2749 Knob Hill Drive in Clemens. In court documents, law enforcement officers alleged that Algrod regularly performed satanic rituals and animal sacrifices at the Clemens home. Let's see. August 23, 2011, Pazuzu Algrod pleads guilty to misdemeanor assault on a female and was placed on probation for 12 months. September 22, 2011. Pazuzu Algrod's girlfriend, Amber Birch, was accused of slapping and attempting to choke Algrod's mother. Birch was later convicted and sentenced to 12 months of probation. Two months after the conviction, she was charged with assault and battery, with police alleging she hit Algrod in the face. Okay. <laughs> Um, October 2010, Pazuzu Algrod, then 31, was charged with accessory after the fact of involuntary manslaughter. The charge was related to the shooting death of Joseph Emmerich Chandler, whose body was found in September of 2010 on a boat ramp in Donaha Park in Yadkin County. Algrod was accused of misleading investigators and allowing a suspect in the shooting to stay at his house. Okay. Obviously, we're talking about Amber. Psychiatrists who interviewed Algarod said he had schizophrenia, agoraphobia, and alcoholism, but found him mentally competent to stand trial. They also reported had intentionally filed down his teeth and had poor hygiene and body odor. Okay. Um, I mean, I feel like we talked about the teeth, but like poor hygiene and body odor. If you knew the state of this house, that's kind of a given. And it gets even worse. He admitted that he bathed no more than once a year and had not brushed his teeth in years. I'm gonna puke, the report said. He felt such actions stripped his body of its defenses in warding off infection and illness. Yo, Pazuzu, fun fact, the opposite is true. And that's all I'm going to say about that. October 5th, 2014. Authorities executed a search warrant at 2749 Knob Hill Drive in Clemens. Crews uncovered the skeletal remains of two people buried in shallow graves in the backyard. Warrants would later reveal the two were killed in 2009. Pazuzu, then 35, and Amber, then 24, both of the home, were each charged with one count of murder and one count of accessory after the fact to murder. October 6, 2014. Pazuzu... Algarod and Amber Birch had their first court appearance, both asking for court-appointed attorneys. A third person, Crystal Nicole Matlock, then 28, was charged in connection with the death of one person whose body was found at the Clemens home. Matlock was accused of helping bury the man. Oh, fun fact, there's a video tour of the house. How am I just now seeing this? Oh, God. Maybe I'll share the link. If it's that bad, I won't, but... I'll think about it. Um, October 7th, 2014, county housing officials declare the home 
Pazuzu, Agarad, and Amber Birch shared with Cynthia was unfit for human habita- habitation. The house was filled with trash, mold, and animal feces. A code officer said in a report that the house contained hundreds of dead and living flies, feces, and urine that had been ground into the flooring and walls, decayed animal parts and remains, and dried blood-like substance on the walls and animal cages with carcasses. I, the All I see is red, so I'm going to continue and not even talk about that. I'm very angry about it, but I can't talk about it. Photos also showed the front door bore markings such as a picture of a skull and crossbones and the words, evil will triumph. A phrase that appeared to be written in another language might have been a clumsy attempt at the house of devil worship or the house of devil worshipers, according to an Arabic language professor. October 13th, 2014, two bodies found behind the homes at 2749 Knob Hill Drive in Clemens were identified as Joshua, Joshua Frederick Wetzler and Tommy Dean Welch. Both men disappeared in 2009. Arrest warrants alleged that Pazuzu Algarad killed Wetzler in July of 2009 and that, Am- I don't know why I said that so bad, 2009, and that Amber Birch helped him bury the body. Warrants also alleged that Birch, Amber, killed Welch in October of 2009 before Pazuzu helped her with the burial. Autopsies would later say each man was shot in the head. January of 2015. The Forsyth County Housing Department said the owner of the home at 2749 Knob Hill Drive in Clemens had until mid-February to submit proof she would make it habitable. Her original deadline had been December of 2014. Jesus, I wouldn't want that job. No, thank you. Uh, February of 2015. Foreclosure proceedings began for the Clemens home where two bodies were found in the backyard. March of 2015, Wells Fargo Bank said it planned to move forward with foreclosure and demolish the home. Um, April of 2015, crews demolished the Clemens home where police say Pazuzu and Amber killed two men before burying them in the backyard. We get it. The men were buried in the backyard. Enough. Uh, May 13th, 2015, Pazuzu was transferred from the Forsyth County Jail to Central Prison in Raleigh for safekeeping. Um, that turns out not to, be the, not to be the greatest, but I digress. It was the second time he had been transferred for safekeeping since his arrest on October 5th of 2014. A transfer for safekeeping can be for three reasons. Security, mental health disorders, or medical conditions. October 28, 2015, Pazuzu Algarad was found dead at 4.20 a.m. in his cell at Central Prison in Raleigh. An autopsy would later say he died from severe blood loss caused by a deep wound to a major blood vessel in his left arm at the pit of his elbow. His death was ruled a suicide, and authorities said he used something to cut himself. It was never clear what instrument was used. Items from his cell sent to the North Carolina office of the chief medical examiner included an electric razor and a clear unlabeled bottle filled with red fluid. Algred, again, we're going to talk about this apparently. Algred has also filed his teeth into points. Officials said at the time there was no evidence support to support rumors that he bit his own arm to cause the wound. March 9th, 2017, Amber Birch, girlfriend of the late Pazuzu Agrad, is led into the courtroom in shackles to plead guilty to secondary murder in the death of Tommy Dean Welch, one of the two men, here we go again, found buried in the backyard of Agrad's house in Clemens. In case you guys didn't know, there were two men that were found buried in the backyard. Um, so Amber Birch, then 27, pleads guilty to secondary murder armed robbery, and accessory after the fact to murder. She was ordered to serve a minimum of 30 years and 8 months in prison with a maximum sentence of 39 years and 2 months. Forsyth County prosecutors said she used a .22 caliber rifle to shoot Tommy Dean Welch twice as he sat on a couch in the home that the two shared at 2749 Knob Hill Drive in Clemens. I feel like I'm gonna, I'm going to have this address stuck in my head for like a week. You might too. You're welcome. Prosecutors also said that three months before that, her boyfriend, Pazuzu Algarad, used the same rifle to fatally shoot Joshua Frederick Wetzler. Investigators alleged the body stayed in the house for several several weeks before Algarad called Birch, who was in South Carolina, to ask her to come back and help bury Wetzler. 
that says a lot about the state of the house if no one even notices the dead body for months. June 5th, 2017, Crystal Matlock blows a kiss to her family as she leaves the courtroom on Monday, June 5th of 2017. Matlock pleaded guilty to conspiracy to accessory after the fact of first-degree murder in the deaths of Tommy Dean Welch and Joshua Frederick Wetzler. Crystal Nicole Matlock, then 30, are we repeating this? Okay. Then 30, pleaded guilty in Forsyth Superior Court to conspiracy to accessory after the fact of first-degree murder. She was accused of helping bury Joshua Frank Wetzler. Matlock was sentenced to a minimum of three years and two months in prison with a maximum sentence of four years and ten months. So that's the timeline. That's all she wrote, although it's not because there's so much more information. And I urge you to just look into this if you were interested at all or watch Viceland's docuseries, The Double You Know. I believe there are six episodes. Either way, it's very informative, very interesting, but also just terrifying and sad all around. Um there's so many things I want to know, so many questions I have myself, but that's the, that's how it is with these cases. Um, but enough of that, because I don't have much time left, and I want to tell you that I have thoroughly enjoyed season two with you, and I have thoroughly enjoyed you showing up every week to hear me talk about crime and some of the worst and saddest shit that exists. And... I don't know what season three is going to bring just like I didn't know what season two was. I just know that you can look forward to probably some mini sods here and there while this break is happening before season three premieres. And I, of course, closer to that time, will let you know and fill you in on what's going on so that you can get excited or whatever. Um, however, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's probably going to still have something to do with psychology and crime because I don't know how I can't. Like, it's just so natural for me. I do find myself leaning more towards the underdogs like um, transgender, black lives, um, Native Americans, just like the cases that slip through the cracks. And also cold cases. Um unsolved things stuff like that because or cases where someone is sitting in prison who is likely innocent or is innocent and could be proven with dna and the innocence project and so many so many things like that that i would just love to do that are not only talking about true crime but actually going to make a difference or actually could make a difference i should say um but i don't know for sure just letting you know that you have something to look forward to in season three, and I will let you know as soon as I do what that is. Until then, I cannot believe it. It's like a bitter, 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 bittersweet moment right now because I do need a break. There is a lot going on in my life, but I don't want to leave you guys. Uh, I'm going to miss you so much, but I will be back for season three. And then, like I said, in between for minisodes, little bonus episodes, stuff like that. Who knows? The world is my stage. It's yours as well. So I hope you are enjoying your summer. I hope you are enjoying your day, your night, whatever it is. I cannot tell you enough how grateful I am for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much from the bottom of my huge ass heart for being here and for being a fan. You are truly the best. And I look forward to reconnecting with you again. I love you so much. Find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Okay. We can, we can totally stay in touch. It's I'm not leaving forever. I will be back. But even in that between time, reach out to me, email me. I, I'm not the greatest at checking email right now, but I will have more time to do that without these episodes. So reach out to me. Don't, don't be a stranger. I love you so very much. And we'll see you again for season three at another time. I hope you enjoyed. That was the finale, bitches. Brit out. Peace out. <laughs> oh, silly boy. Peace out. <laughs> Peace out. I won't let you down. We love to fuck it up. Am
my conscious and my trapping I suppose that I break the mold Could sell crack or could crack the code Both scenarios I reload But Bimby, where they do that at? So many offers on the table We ain't signed shit You think it happened overnight But we designed it I'm out of line but now the stars is in alignment Cause we the greatest now This is a Yellow Wave production.